Welcome back to Murder on My Family, True Crimes. I'm Sandy. Sorry it's been so long since I've recorded anything. We've been incredibly busy, so busy that I didn't even ask anyone in my family to help me today. Uh, we've had two weddings, one's coming up in two weeks and one was three weeks ago. That's all anyone can think about around here. So anyway, I did do some research on one story of somebody named Timothy Jones Jr., and I got most of my information from thestate.com, newyorktimes.com, and greenvilleonline.com, oxygen.com. So I knew nothing about this case before I started to do the research on it, but there was a lot of information out there. So I feel if you're from the South Carolina area, you probably know this case pretty well. So this is the story of Timothy Jones Jr. To start, Timothy had a very rough childhood that no child should be exposed to. His mother, Cynthia Turner, was diagnosed with schizophrenia and lived in a psychiatric facility for many years. She had always said she never wanted a fat baby, so she refused to feed little Timmy, as he was called throughout his childhood. She went as far as to give him laxatives as an infant and put him in ice baths. She was known to sit in her closet, cutting up her clothes. Her mental illness became so severe that her husband, Tim Jones Sr., was scared of her. He, however, had his own drug, alcohol, and domestic abuse problems. So at the age of 20, Jones Sr., took his little Timmy, Jones Jr., and moved into his mother's house, where Timmy Jr. was exposed to even worse there. The amount of drugs, alcohol, domestic abuse was very rampant in that house. After they moved out, Tim Jr.'s mom became a prostitute after that, and I think he had little contact with her. They didn't really say much about her after this point. Timmy did have one thing going for him. He was brilliant. At one point, his father had bought a $2,000 computer, and Timmy took it apart and put it back together and made it faster and a better machine. At 10, he started seeing a psychiatrist, and he told them he heard voices. But at this time, the voices were not mean, uh, which is relevant later in his life. By age 12, he was smoking, and by high school, he was drinking a lot. At 15, he was in a serious car accident, which damaged the frontal lobe of his brain. And if you know anything about the frontal lobe of your brain, that's where it controls your impulses. And it's actually not fully developed on humans until their young 20s, like 23, 24, maybe even 25. So after that, he was kind of mentally all over the place. One article even said that he did get in a second car accident where he hit his head again, which would only exacerbate that. However, I'm not sure if that was true. After high school, he really wanted to be a Navy SEAL, even though his family knew that that wouldn't be the right path for him, given the brain damage he had, the alcohol abuse he had. So he did enlist anyway, and he only made it a few weeks before he was given a general discharge for depression and drug abuse. Not surprising to anybody. In 2000, he returned home to Illinois, but started hanging with the wrong crowd. 
He was arrested for cocaine possession in March in 2001. And in September, he was arrested again for burglary, car theft, and passing forged checks. This time, he was sentenced to six years in prison at the Illinois State Prison Work Camp. And this is where he found God. He became an ultra fanatic with religion. His father even felt that the religion was somewhat of a cult. So he was released from prison in January 2003, and that was only after serving just over a year. After that, Jones started working at a fun park where he met Amber, his future wife. She started attending the Pentecostal church with Jones, too. They were married within weeks of meeting in June of 2004. She was 19, and he was 22. And if you live in the part of the country where I do, the East Coast, that is very, very young to be getting married. Um, But it is legal at that age. So Amber thought she'd hit the jackpot. Jones was smart, grounded in religion, and had his life together. However, she learned how strict the church was, for women specifically. Women could not cut their hair, they could not wear pants, they could not wear makeup or jewelry. Uh, Women were to be fruitful and multiply. They were to listen to their husbands. This is a religion that I could never follow. I am way too strong-willed to have another human being tell me that I can and cannot do all those things. Um, And Amber clearly didn't like it either, but she went along with it because she really loved um, Timothy. So the couple started a family and they moved to Mississippi. There he worked several jobs while attending Mississippi State University, and he graduated with a degree in computer science and engineering. Remember, he was very intelligent. Jones believed in corporal punishment with his children and was extremely strict with them. Corporal punishment is somewhat abusive punishment. When Jones graduated from Mississippi State University, he got a great paying job at Intel making computer chips. Amber was relieved. After years of struggling and raising three children, they could finally get a house and a nanny to help. However, that didn't happen. Amber was devastated. Jones bought a rundown trailer in South Carolina and wanted a homestead. He got 30 chickens, three goats, two turkeys, and three rabbits. Amber had to take care of all of them. And they proceeded to have two more children. Said five children and all those animals, and Amber had to take care of them all while her husband went to work. She felt isolated. She didn't have a driver's license or a car, and they were out in the middle of nowhere pretty much by herself. Jones wanted Amber to actually homeschool the children. However, she didn't have a high school diploma, so she couldn't homeschool them. She felt inadequate and lonely, so she started having an affair with a 19-year-old neighbor. This obviously did not go well. By May of 2012, their marriage was in trouble, and they actually separated for two weeks. During that time, Jones started seeing a marriage and family therapist named Dr. April Hames, and 
this did not help. They ended up getting divorced in October of 2013. So by then they had five children together. Mara, Elias, and this boy's name I don't know how to say. It's Natan, it's N-A-H-T-A-H-N. So I'm just going to say Natan, and I apologize if that's incorrect. So Mara, Elias, Natan, Gabriel, and Elaine Marie. Jones was able to get his therapist to write a letter stating he was capable of raising the children on his own. In an affidavit, she wrote, quote, Mr. Jones is a highly intelligent, responsible father who is capable of caring for his children as the sole custodial parent. His thoughts are detailed, action-oriented, and focused on his children, end quote. Amber didn't have an attorney, so she didn't have a chance. She received visitation, and he had legal guardianship. The last few months before Amber had moved out, Jones had started to become violent. He knocked her teeth out by throwing a phone at her. He spit at her in front of the children and headbutted her and knocked her out. So after this divorce, Jones kind of started to spiral a little bit. He started abusing drugs and alcohol, and he claimed to hear voices. And I think at this point, the voices started not being so good. Uh, he had hired many different babysitters to help him out because he worked all day and he had small children. And they all claimed he kept an immaculate home and was attentive to his children, all until the last uh, babysitter, which I'll talk about in a minute. He first hired 17-year-old Crystal Ballantine. They started a relationship, so her and her infant daughter moved in with him. So she's 17, pretty young. She attended the fundamentalist Christian church with him. He wanted her to take on the ways of the church, but she wasn't having it. Then she started to witness the physical abuse he gave his children. He would hit them very hard and make them stand in the corner on their tippy toes for long periods of time. He believed in spanking and other punishments that were good for what he called their sick bodies. She finally left him when he was getting ready to whip her infant child. So infant child, how could they do anything that severe? I don't understand. Then another babysitter named Joy Lorick grew concerned about the conditions at the home. She witnessed dirty dishes, cockroaches, trash, and dirty clothes everywhere. He even stopped feeding the kids regularly and someday was only giving them oatmeals. One time the children asked her not to tell their dad that she fed them because then he wouldn't feed them again if he'd already been fed that day. So in August of 2014, Joy called the South Carolina Department of Social Services and reported a lack of food and physical abuse. Unknown to her, the kid's school reported him months earlier about the physical abuse. They actually did an investigation, and they concluded that Jones had to put in writing that he would no longer spank or beat his children again. I don't understand how that helps by somebody that's going to be physically abusive. All they have to do is put it in writing that they wouldn't do it again. That doesn't work. He clearly needed some type of help. Uh, 
So when social services went to investigate the new claim, they actually talked to the wrong babysitter. So they got the wrong information. So by this point, the children were ages. Mara was eight. Elias was seven. Natan was six. Gabriel, two. And Elaine Marie, one. And if any of you have children, you know how difficult it is just to have one by yourself, much less to have five children, eight and under, working full time. So this is a very difficult uh, thing to deal with for any human being, much less one that has mental illness. So on August 28, 2014, Jones picked up the kids from school like any other day. That afternoon, he thought Natan, the six-year-old, had deliberately blown out four electrical outlets in the house. Jones tried to get Natan to tell him what he had done, but he wouldn't. So Jones had him do push-ups and squats for an hour while spanking him throughout the punishment. Uh, Natan would not fess up, so Jones finally sent him to bed. When he checked on him a little while later, Natan was actually dead. He had exercised him to death, a form of punishment, until he collapsed and died. Later, uh, Jones would tell police, quote, I just PT'd his ass, worked him real hard because he wouldn't answer me. Then Jones said it was an accident. I, I can't imagine a poor child with their father, whom they love dearly, doing that to them. So anyway, after he found Natan deceased in his bed, he took the oldest child, Mara, who was eight, to the store to buy cigarettes, leaving the other children home by themselves, mind you. And Elias, the seven-year-old, was sitting with his brother while he was deceased in his bed. So when Jones got home after buying his cigarettes, he strangled Mara and Elias with his hands. Then he strangled Gabriel, who was two, and Elaine Marie, who was one, with a belt because they were too little. His hands would not fit around his, their necks. This is just so sick to me that he came up with an alternate way because they were so little. It, it's just sickening. After he killed the kids, he wrapped their bodies in blankets and put them in the back seat of his car and drove around the southeast in his Cadillac Escalade for nine days, eventually dumping their bodies in black plastic bags in rural Alabama. He was finally pulled over at a checkpoint in Mississippi, and officers that pulled him over said they could smell the decomp and there were bleach marks in the carpet. There was actually some blood still visible, and there were maggots in the car. So that you know that those children's bodies were sitting in the car for days before he disposed of them. So Jones was transported back to South Carolina to face charges. Police found notes in Jones's car. One of the handwritten lists reportedly said, quote, head to campground melt bodies, saw and bones to dust or small pieces, sanitation plant. Another allegedly said, day one, burn up body. Day two, sand down bones. 
So apparently he had bought a saw to cut up the bodies, but couldn't get himself to do it. So just to give you a timeline a little bit, so you know how long this took. So he picked them up on August 28th of 2014 from school. That's the night where he killed the children. And there was video of him at the school picking up the children that day. So on September 1st was Labor Day. He was supposed to be at a party with the children. And he was missed there. So people now realize that they were missing. On September 2nd, the school noticed the children's absence. On September 3rd, his ex-wife finally reports the five kids missing. Uh, she couldn't get a hold of Jones, and Jones told neighbors he was moving, which she knew that he wouldn't have been. On September 6th, Jones was arrested in Raleigh, Mississippi at a driver's checkpoint, and then on September 8th and 9th is when he confessed to killing his kids and led police to the bodies in Alabama. On his confession tape, he said, I was just running on fear and I wasn't thinking. Any normal person would have said, let me call the police and turn myself in. I took the coward route and started following the voices in my head. If you remember earlier, he's had voices since he was younger, but they weren't saying bad things. Apparently, they are saying bad things now. Jones was heard saying, I'm not thinking anything, but I'm screwed. Logic went out the window. He said he would have done it even if an officer was standing next to him. He wasn't thinking about the law, and he knew he was going to get caught because he said he wasn't a good criminal. He said there were voices in his head, and he thought his children were out to get him. Jones's defense attorney argued that he is the poisoned fruit of a toxic family tree, rotted by severe mental illness, drug abuse, alcoholism, incest, multiple suicides, child abuse, and parental abandonment. Gripped by insane delusions and fueled by synthetic marijuana, Jones fell apart under the stress of a broken marriage and the demands of caring for five young children. Now, this brings in a couple things. Nature versus nurture. So when you are growing up, if you have had the most horrendous upbringing, does that make you a violent criminal? I believe that that, in my personal opinion, that adds to it, but it does not make a aggressive, abusive, murderous person. If you have the best upbringing with the most caring parents, then you should, in that argument, you should not have any issues, but yet some people still have mental illness. So then the other thing that I was thinking is, is he mentally Ill or, Ill or not when he did this? There, that was a huge debate in the trial, whether he was mentally ill or not. And, you know, everyone has a different opinion on that. I think he was, my opinion, he was mentally ill, but he knew what he was doing and he knew that it was wrong. Therefore, he should have every penalty given against him. So the murder trial began on April 30th, 2019. There was two weeks of jury selection, and opening arguments started on May 14, 2019, with testimonies starting the next day. He was found guilty on June 4th of murdering all four children. 
There were over 60 witnesses, including Joe's co-workers, grandparents, parents, ex-wife, and the children's teacher, which, from what I understand, was the most heart-wrenching testimony. They were in tears. It was hard to watch. It was hard to get through. After a week of testimony and the death penalty phase, he was actually sentenced to death on June 13, 2019. So during the sentencing phase, several of Joan's family members testified to the jury to spare him the death penalty. His father, Joan Sr., had all of the children's images tattooed on his back. You can actually look that up online. Uh, his ex, Amber, testified the kids loved him and wouldn't want that. Mara's last words were, Daddy, I love you, right before he strangled her. And that's so sad. I can't imagine what those poor children were thinking and feeling as they were witnessing all of this. So after the trial, nine of the 18 jurors, who called themselves Team 18, spoke to the state media company about the trial. The trial left many of the jurors traumatized. Some actually sought counseling, and all of them bonded to one another in a way that was hard for outsiders to understand. At least one juror got a small tattoo memorializing the children. They were all traumatized by the testimony at the trial, and there were many breaks during the trial because jurors were crying. In one instance, they were passing a shredded-up Woody doll to all the jurors to see how it was shredded. It was Natan's favorite toy, and his father had destroyed it as punishment to Natan. As they passed it, the pre-recorded voice said, boy, am I glad to see you. One of the jurors lost it, and that would have been me. I can't even imagine. They said the teacher's testimonies were heart-wrenching. The teachers could barely hold it together on the stand, and they loved those children more than their own parents. I actually saw some pictures of these children, and they were so adorable. And the teachers testified that they were the sweetest children, too. Amber, his ex-wife, filed a lawsuit against social services for damages for the wrongful deaths of the children. She said a known child abuser whose abuse went uninterrupted, uninterrupted by social services. I don't know how that lawsuit went because it has been a while. Uh, he is actually serving his sentence on death row at the Broad River Correctional Institute in South Carolina. Nobody has been executed there since 2011. And they say that he is such a rarity on death row because of his high intelligence and his high paying job and his education. Most people on death row do not come from high paying jobs with high education. With that said, that doesn't mean that you are not capable of harming other people. And that is the story of Timothy Jones, Jr., who killed his five children. I want to thank everybody for listening. It'll probably be a few weeks before I record another one, but I appreciate every single one of you. 
if you want to email me any requests, you can email me at, at murderandmyfamily at gmail.com. And I hope to see you listening again. Bye-bye.